When the day of Pentecost arrived, they all met in one room. And suddenly they heard what sounded like a violent, rushing wind from heaven. And the noise filled the entire house in which they were sitting. Something appeared to them that seemed like tongues of fire. And these separated and came to rest on the head of each one. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as she enabled them. Now there were devout people living in Jerusalem from under every nation on earth. And at this sound they all assembled. But they were bewildered to hear their native languages being spoken. They were amazed and astonished. Surely all of these people speaking are Galileans. How does it happen that each of us hears these words in our own native tongue? We are Parthians and Medes and Elamites and people from Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and all the parts of Libya surrounding Cyrene, as well as visitors from Rome, all Jews or converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs too, we hear them preaching each in our own language about the marvels of God. All were amazed and disturbed. And they asked each other, what does this mean? But others said mockingly, they are drunk on too much new wine. And then Peter stood up with the eleven and addressed the crowd. Women and men of Judea, he said, and all you who live in Jerusalem, listen to what I have to say. These people are not drunk, as you think. It is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what the prophet Joel spoke of. In the days to come, he said, it is our God who speaks. I will pour out my spirit on all humankind. Your daughters and your sons will prophesy, and your young people will see visions, and your elders will dream dreams, and even the most supposedly insignificant of my people, both women and men, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And I will display wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billowing smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon will become blood before the coming of the great and sublime day of our Lord. And all who call upon our God's name will be saved. This is one of our sacred stories. Thanks be to God. This week, one of our youth walked into the sanctuary with a friend that I'd never met. They were looking for an air conditioning break on a really long walk in about 95 degree heat. And I was up here at, up front untangling the, the Holy Spirit birds. <laughs> and after a couple of minutes of introducing ourselves, this teenager gestured around the sanctuary and asked me, so what is it you guys do here? And without missing a beat, our teenager said, church stuff, which pretty much sums it up, I think untangling a mass of red paper birds, church stuff. But I thought I could improve on the answer, so I told him we do lots of things. But one of those things that we do is meeting once a week to tell stories that could help us become more loving and peaceful and courageous people. The birds, I explained, are a way of getting into the story we're going to tell this week. And then I asked him to help me untangle, which lasted like two minutes until he decided he'd really prefer the 95-degree heat. <laughs> so fast forward a few days, and here we are at our meeting. Our story has been told, 
And what is left is to ask the question, how does this story make us more loving, peaceful, and courageous people? And here's what I'd like to suggest as an answer. I think that this story, the story of a fiery spirit being embraced by common folks and the new world that follows, this story gives us eyes to see that every person on this planet is a beautiful, nuanced, confusing concoction of flesh and spirit, of bone and breath, ashes of life, ashes and life, dust and divine. I think that this story gives us eyes to see that when we look at the great community of humankind, the flow of life and love and peace that moves through all who would open themselves to it, when we look at that, we see the face of God. St. Athanasius once wrote that God became human so that humans might become God. That God became human so that humans might become God. And now if you're paying attention, St. Athanasius just called you the person in the seat next to you, your mother-in-law, and that one guy from work, God. And if that doesn't make you uncomfortable, I don't think you're actually paying attention. But maybe a few good stories will help clarify what we're talking about when we make an outrageous claim such as humans might become God. There was once a man who made his living washing dishes. The man worked himself to the bone, washing dishes in a steamy, rank kitchen of a restaurant. He served women and men all day and would go home smelling of old towels and detergent. And one day, while washing, while washing dishes, he was met by a genie who offered to grant him three wishes, which is convenient. First, of course, the man wished for a better job. And before he knew it, he was standing in a corner office of a high-rise with a whole staff tripping over themselves to do his bidding. And just as he was getting used to it, he thought, I could go higher. So with his second wish, he wished to be a king. And before he knew it, he found himself sitting on a golden throne with the whole world under his feet. And just as he was getting used to it, he thought, I can go higher. And so he summoned the genie, and with his third wish, he said, I wish to become God. And the genie said, as you wish. And before he knew it, he was back in the kitchen with a dirty dish in his hand. Perhaps the first step on this journey is recognizing that sharing in God's nature doesn't look like Bruce Almighty as much as it looks like Jesus of Nazareth. Not like a king so much as a dishwasher, and not like an emperor so much as a farmer, and that brings us to the story of Joel. Joel was a fiery-tongued Hebrew prophet, and about 2,400 years ago, he found himself standing in the midst of a dark and anxious assembly. Gazing around the room, he looked into the tired eyes of farmers the eyes that had watched helplessly as their crops and their livelihoods withered and vanished under swarms of invading locusts. He looked into the despairing eyes of children, like many of our high schoolers today, learning for the first time that their safety was not guaranteed. 
uncertain if there could be a tomorrow, and not knowing what they had done to deserve such a punishment. Joel stood in the midst of the dull, throbbing pain of the community, knowing he must do a prophet's work. It seems that he alone had the words to name the agents of injustice. It seems that he alone had eyes to see beyond the pain, to see the stories of redemption waiting for those who would help tell them. It seems that he alone had a heart to feel the ever-present hope of greater meaning than all. And so, wielding his carefully sharpened words like a surgeon, he cut open a window into a world in which they could abide. One in which the loving heart of the universe actually cared about their loss. One in which their suffering might be made a path to lead them to see through the honest eyes of a prophet. Even now, Joel spoke on behalf of the open-armed God. Return to me with all your heart with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. In your grief, tear your hearts, not just your clothes. And when you get to that place, you will be repaid for the life that the locusts have stolen from you. There, I will pour, I will pour out my spirit on all humankind. Your daughters and your sons will speak the healing words of a prophet. Your elders will have the dreams of a prophet. Your young people will see visions of a new world. Regardless of class, wealth, race, gender, or age, you will be bearers of the Spirit and agents of God's new reign. And even when the world is falling apart, you will find salvation in the Spirit of God. And how the disheveled and dejected crowds must have scoffed at that. They were neither priests, prophets, nor kings. And how could it be that resting beneath the crust of dirt on their skin was a pure spirit of love, of peace, waiting to be embraced and released on a world waiting to be recreated, a world waiting to be loved into being? They wondered, could such a marriage of human and divine be possible? And that question brings us to the story of Jesus. Hundreds of years after Joel, walking the streets of Jerusalem, with every step, Jesus answered that question. And every answer brought him closer to the execution at the hands of an offended religion and a dominating empire. The story of Jesus is the story of a man becoming so transparent to the Spirit of God that all anybody saw when they looked at him was God. The Spirit of God dwelled more fully in him than she ever could in any temple made of stone or church made of brick. In fact, in the ancient temple, where the old men thought that they could store God and come and get him when they needed him, there was a thick curtain separating the presence of God from everyone on the outside. And on that dark day when Jesus was murdered, the story goes that the curtain was shredded from top to bottom. And as the scared little priests dared to look in, they found that the Spirit of God was not where they thought they left her. And that is dangerous, they thought. Because if she's not in there where we can manage her, then where is she? 
And the answer came 50 days later, which brings us to the story of Pentecost. 50 days later, their answer came violent and hot, raining down on a crowd of women and men, not so different from those whom Joel had preached to so many years earlier. The tongues of fire gave them tongues of fire, and they started preaching about God's reign in every language. One time, when I was first starting out at Truett, I went to a breakfast to meet some of the professors. And I wound up at a table with a professor of Hebrew scriptures who also teaches Hebrew. And trying to make small talk, I said, so what do you teach? Hebrew, he said, because God speaks Hebrew. But man is sinful, so the New Testament is written in Greek. He clearly hadn't read the Pentecost story in a while. The spirit, it seems, transcends language. She speaks Hebrew and English, story and melody, intellect, feeling, and imagination. And she spoke that day. That day, those women and men became so transparent to God's spirit that all the crowds could see when they looked at them was God. God had become human so that humans might become God. And as everybody was looking around, confused, trying to figure out what just happened, Peter cleared his throat to explain. He reached back 400 years and borrowed the words of Joel the prophet, just as fresh in that moment as they were back then, as they are right now. And that brings us to the story of you and me. This story points us towards the reality that the spirit of love, of joy, peace and patience, of kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control is residing in your very being at this very moment. It is like the blue sky, obscured by clouds, but whether they're storm clouds or light fluffy clouds, just because they cover over the spaciousness of a blue sky does not mean it's not there. In Jesus, we see how the clouds become thin, how the light can break through them. And in Pentecost, we see that same spirit is ever-present in us, waiting for us to allow her to come through. But whether as a blue sky, a divine breath, a gentle dove, or a roaring fire, she is in you. Finding new expression every day through your face and through your hands. She is waiting to remind you that you are connected, that you are loved, that you are loving. And through that love, she will recreate this world. She is in your neighbor. And even beneath the most distressing disguises of the poor, the suffering, or the enemy. And she is just waiting to be recognized and worshipped. So may this story do its work. May it cast its spell. God has become human. Now may humanity become God. Happy Pentecost.